For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. You may have a seat. <laughs> Thank you. Glory to God the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit who have granted us eternal life in the Son. Praise to their most holy name. We give thanks uh, to God for all of his goodness uh, toward us on this day. And I again want to uh, express my great thanks to Pastor Gerald, Pastor Johnny, and to the elders for another opportunity to stand before you and serve and every opportunity that I have uh, to serve God's people. Um, it is a gracious thing and I thank the Lord uh, for all of you and for all of your love toward me and toward my family. Uh, let us take a moment here uh, to pray, and then let us turn faithfully to God's word. Thank you again, Father, for the son that you've given for us. You are a good, good father, as the song says. We pour out our praise to you, O God. Look down upon us and be forgiving toward us. Do not let our sins be an impasse between us and you, but continue to remove them as far as the east is from the west. We ask that you would be with our Jewish brothers and sisters all over the country today who've been affected intimately by the shooting in San Diego. God, bring about justice mixed with mercy Point all who are involved and affected to the glory of Christ and his power to save, his power to comfort the grieving, his power to bring about justice. Remember our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka also. May you help their faith to be strong at this time. May their hope be more certain than ever before. Do the same for our brothers and sisters in China, too. 
Thank you, Father, for the miraculous things that you have done in our lives by bringing healing upon our pastor, Pastor Gerald. Thank you for being kind to the shepherd of our souls so we can stand before you in joy one day. Bless him and his family. May his recovery be a time of rest and joy in you. Now bless us and bless Oak Park and bless Chicago land, God. We still look to you to pour out your spirit and to bring about a revival of hearts and minds and souls. Use us as your instruments with great zeal and joy. Give us a hearing of your word now, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Unknown to most of us, in addition to Jesus, if you're a believer, and in the absence of Jesus, if you are an unbeliever, we each have priests that we keep in our lives, just in case we are not satisfied with God's way of handling life's difficulties. We have natural, local, reachable go-tos in our lives who perform a priestly function for us when we need someone to deal with us in our pain and in our sin. We keep them on speed dial. We are allowed to walk in for their counsel as clients at any moment. These are the priests as humans, seem to us to be better equipped to understand than God is what we are going through in tough times in this world. At any given point of trial, they seem to show more concrete sympathy to us than does God. Jesus is a mediator for us for, for sure, for salvation, yes. But in practice, we each hold on to other mediators because Jesus is far too removed from us in heaven to handle our immediate, tangible distresses. You and I need a priest in order for us to go to God. Now, this may sound odd coming from someone who is thoroughly Protestant and not Roman Catholic at all. But I'm only following the biblical drama. We need a priest because we and God never get together on our own. God always prescribes the way to approach him. The way to approach him is through another he has appointed who will act in his interest and in our interest because we are too sinful to enter his presence on our terms alone. And he is too holy to enter our presence on his terms alone. So God provides someone who will stand between us, who will mediate between us. We need a mediator. So we keep one or more on hand with us at all times along with Jesus. The challenge for us today is to go to the right mediator in times of stress or distress, to the one who, after identifying with our pain, can show us the way to God. The challenge is for us to go to the superior priesthood at all times. And in order for us to get this right, Here's what we need to know from Hebrews chapter 5. 
First, the human priesthood handles our distresses with gentleness, but also with sinfulness. The human priesthood handles our distresses with gentleness, but also with sinfulness. When we open chapter 5 of Hebrews, the original readers are wrestling with leaving their association with Christ for the easier tenets of Judaism, ancient Judaism, that is. It is easier to return to ancient Judaism because the rules are laid out so that one can check the box and be done with holiness. It is harder to keep following Christ because it comes with the world's hatred of our love, our meekness, patience, kindness, holiness, and truthfulness. You have to endure ire for being truthful rather than cutting corners and for giving people another chance rather than cutting loose people who others in the world would view as dead weight. Apparently, an enticement toward ancient Judaism for our readers was the proximity of a sympathetic high priest. For the writer to Hebrews enters this discussion by saying, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. This verse helps us see why we like other priesthoods to this very day. Our other priests deal gently with us when we are ignorant and wayward, the text says. These are two terms borrowed from the Old Testament to speak of sinning unknowingly before the law and of deliberately acting against the standard of the law, ignorant, unknowingly, and wayward, deliberately. They sympathize with us. Our priests even coddle us when we are not pleasing God, whether we are doing so innocently or deliberately. For us, they will offer the appropriate gift or sacrifice for our attitudes and behaviors. Our mediators will allow us to hit the easy button. Let me explain. I can still remember how easy it was in high school and college years to go to our friends for approval when we had difficulties with our parents. When dad or mom's rules were too high, we could quickly gain sympathy from all those other people who were also smarter and more experienced than our parents. We could complain, no, I can't go to that concert with you because I would have to be out past my stupid curfew. Well, what time does your dad want you back in, our friend would say, by 1 a.m. What? You still have to be in at 1 a.m. as old as we are? I mean, we're 13 years old now and they're still treating you like a baby? <laughs> Just come on to this concert with us so they will let you grow up. That friend understood us, sympathized with us, and made us feel better about our thoughts and our disdain for our parents' rules. And so all must be right with God too because now we feel better and see our parents as the sinners. But the person agreeing with us is not thinking about how to honor Christ. Now, I placed that scene in high school and college, but I could have placed it in the barber or beautician's chair that some of us will be in this week. 
We have a such person who will let us spill our guts and then they will say something good to us regardless of the rightness or wrongness of our thinking. And we do this for one another because, like the Hebrews high priest, we are sinful too. And we know that we ourselves will need to take care of our own sins and we need someone else to step in to handle our wrongdoing. And so, just like Aaron, as the Hebrew writer says, we will make golden calves to solve the problem of a missing Moses when we need to get across the wilderness, when what we really need is to tell someone or to have someone tell us that the idol shop is closed today. Second, in Hebrews 5, the writer tells us that Christ's priesthood handles our distresses with sonship and also with the order of Melchizedek. Christ handles it with sonship and also with the order of Melchizedek. He says, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The writer to Hebrews sets up a comparison so that hearers might judge between the merits of going to a human mediator and the merits of obeying Christ. Just like the human priesthood was appointed by God, so too Christ is appointed by God. He did not exalt himself. He also was exalted by God. So, so far, Jesus and our human priest are in a tie for first place in our lives. They both do the same thing. The writer, however, inserts two things about Jesus that no earthly high priest can claim. First, Jesus has divine sonship and brings that into his priesthood. The quotation of Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you, looks back at the ascension of the sons of David to rule over the house of Israel. On the occasion of their coronations, the exalted king was recognized by all as having divinity, or at least as having significant divine approval. Jesus, already the Son of God by eternal position in the Trinity, and already the Son of David by his lineage, upon his resurrection from the dead, is exalted also to rule over the house of Israel. And at that time, he is declared to be the obedient son. You are my son, God says to him. Today I have begotten you. He brings his God-pleasing sonship into every act of mediation for us. Second, Jesus has membership in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who first appears in Genesis 14, is this shadowy figure who blesses Abraham after Abraham's defeat of the kings. As Hebrews will point out later, he is the king of Salem, or he is the king of peace. And his name also means king of righteousness. Being therefore in this order for Jesus thus adds kingship and peace and righteousness to his priesthood. So when we need a place to turn for our discomfort, here is something to remember. Remember. 
No one has greater access to God than his very own son, his perfectly obedient son. And no one can offer more peace and righteousness to us than the king who rules with absolute peace and righteousness. The very things that we want when we are so frustrated that we are balling up our fists and we are banging on the steering wheel and knocking stuff off our desk, just wiping it off and telling people we are never going to talk to them again. The stuff we need when we are blocking contacts on our phone and apps. Nope, not going to talk to that person again. Bloop, rid of that one. And when we are crying into our pillows, the things that we want are all wrapped up perfectly in only one mediator. We want God to hear us. We want peace from all the surrounding madness, from the abandonment, and from the mistreatment. And we want what is right. All of that is wrapped up in one Melchizedekian son and no one else. Jesus has a priesthood that no earthly priest has. So understanding this, we can quickly get to the third thing the writer to the Hebrews tells us. Christ's priesthood handles our distresses with obedience so that we might be made perfect. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus was and is human. He is fully divine, but he also remains fully human. He lived his days on earth in human flesh, in a human body, replete with human reasoning, common emotions, natural, physical, dietary, and sexual appetites, and bodily and mental temptations. So like you and I, Jesus was driven to cry out to God and say, Hey, please listen to me. I need some help down here. It says right there, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And in case you think he had it easy, the reader explains that Jesus was screaming. His cries were loud. It was like, ah, but no cursing. <laughs> and Jesus shed real tears over the struggles of this life. We immediately want to insert the Garden of Gethsemane here, but the writer does not limit the experience to the garden. Instead, as one commentator writer recognized, the language of in the days of his flesh is much broader than Gethsemane only and refers to all of his praying time down here on earth. There were times when it seemed unbearable for Jesus and he yelled in prayer wiping tears from his eyes I'm so glad that you and I have a savior who screamed to God and also who cried so whether screaming or crying is your thing in distress he has them both and all righteous things in between covered Jesus understands when we scream out or when we cry 
In Gethsemane, it was especially unbearable as he faced the cross and the wrath of God. So with those same loud cries and tears, he asked the Father to intervene. And the basis on which God the Father jumped into action to save the Son by raising him from the dead was the Son's reverence. Because of his honoring God with his obedience when he was suffering. That experience allows him to call us to obedience when we are suffering. We cannot say that Jesus doesn't get what we're going through because he's the son of God. Having completed the requirements of moral righteousness on our behalf by his obedience, being made perfect, says the passage, salvation in this life and the next are found in Jesus. They are found only by those who continue in obedience to him. Back again in verse 9, it says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Because salvation demands obedience, we have to obey him when we're in our distresses. That is not contrary to living by grace. That is what it means to live by grace. So how do I choose Jesus' priesthood in my distress instead of human priesthoods that are sympathetic but lack the ability to deal with my sinful responses to my distress? Four things. And then I'll sit down. Number one, vent your full emotions to God in prayer just like you would vent them to a human mediator. You know God can handle it if you say to him that you feel like walking away. Did you know God can handle that? I mean, God's not scared by you saying, you know what, I really feel like I'm going to walk away right now. You know God can handle it if you say that you are so mad that you want to hurt someone. God can handle that. He's heard that billions and billions of times. So tell God that you feel like walking away or you feel like you want to hurt someone so that he can give you the power to keep from walking away and to keep you from hurting anyone. It takes struggle and effort to bear up under temptation to sin. Our temptations are real. And they bring us to tears, and they make us have frustrating cries and exclamatory statements. But by venting them to God, we reduce the need to wrongly vent at our colleagues, or at our children, or at our parents, our spouse, our neighbors, teachers, or a coach. Or to wrongly vent them towards someone with whom you could enter into an emotional or other type of affair. Because we'll gladly vent it to the person who blinks eyes at us at the office and tell everything going on. What we should be doing is venting to Jesus. Wrongly, or, wrongly venting will make you feel good like you have God's approval. Rightly venting to God will get you both sympathy and righteousness. Second, stay off social media when you have been wronged and are angry at another person. If you need to find a mediator, social media has plenty to give you. If I want to have a pity party right now on social media, I have 4,992 people who will be glad to party along with me. 
And as soon as one of you starts to party along with me, I'll have a hundred more people from your friends who will also join and help me have that pity party. You can make frustration or notification of your frustration as cryptic as you would like to in social media. Someone will pick up on what you're trying to say and click like or give a heart or a thumbs up or some sort of smiley emoji. If you are less cryptic and are quite, are quite overt, maybe even adding a meme in there, you can get hundreds of likes from scores of sympathizers who will affirm your thoughts and feelings and who will never exhort you to see your responses as sin. You can spew your distress all over cyberspace without even thinking about being obedient to God. Posting our disgust lets us remain comfortable in our disobedience, and we have to stop that. Instead, we need to do this third thing. Talk to people who will tell you the hard things Christ demands of us, and not just tell us the things we want to hear because we are tired of trying to do things the Christ-honoring way. Let me say that again. Talk to people who will tell you the hard things Christ demands of us and not tell us only the things we want to hear because we are tired of trying to do things the Christ-honoring way. If one of your parents always approves of almost everything you say or do, don't take your annoyances to that parent. You know you will get mediation sympathy, but you will not get pointed to God. If you have a child who simply lets you get away with dysfunctional parenting, don't rest your parental report card on that child's grading. You might not be doing the best parenting, and you actually might be the source of your own irritation. Ditto goes for the close girlfriend or close running buddy who gives blanket approval to whatever you do so long as you don't turn on them or judge them. No. Here's who we need to go to. We need to go to the sibling who, after saying he or she understands, will not let us dishonor our vows, will not let us take a spending spree and charge up debt so that we have a means to be happy while ignoring the real issue. We need to go to the friend who will say, let's pray and I will walk with you through the problems and not allow you to avoid the problems. We need to go to the friend who will say, well, you know scripture says, and we need not tell that person that we don't want to hear about what the Bible has to say. We want God to help us. And God is speaking through the scriptures. Set aside the scriptures and we are setting aside God speaking to us the very thing that we want. No, we need to go to the friend that's going to say the hard things to us and tell us to get back in there and keep trusting Jesus. And fourth, have the loving courage to tell your friend, the one who comes to you for mediation, that he or she is not handling things in a way that pleases God. Tell him to go back to his job and humble himself before his employees and to apologize for being too harsh or for being unfaithful to a project. Tell her to stop watching porn. I know you will tell him to stop watching porn, but you need to tell 
her also that she is not handling her marriage or her singleness in a God-honoring way. I know the world makes us think that only men are into porn, but that's just not true. And you need to tell her to stop watching porn. Tell him it is not time to lawyer up, but it is time to fast and pray. Tell your friend he needs to see a therapist or to spend more time at home or to stop simply using people when he is lonely. Just goes through and on the weekend, oh, I'll call this one because I know that person is always available. Tell that friend you're just using people. Tell your friend that she is bitter and she needs to honor the Lord by putting away that bitterness and fighting the root of bitterness. Tell your friend to get back in here regularly and sit under the uncomfortable word of God and take what God God has appointed for our sufferings. While writing this message, I realized that I have at least two friends with whom I need to have such conversations. And I want you to know, honestly, I'm struggling with figuring out how and when to do so. Because we've gotten to this friendship pattern where I always approve and just let that friend be. And that's not pointing that friend toward Jesus. Jesus, the Melchizedekian son, has a superior priesthood for our times of distress. He is the right mediator for me and for you to choose because he can both sympathize with us and sympathizing is good and right but Jesus also can get us all the way to God forever Father we thank you for your kindnesses toward us I need my most stressful times to go to the right mediator. I know who the people are who will take my side. Sides may not glorify you. They may not really help me. God, if the resurrection means anything, it means in our distress and in our struggles and in the times that make us cry or ball up our fist, we can go to the one to whom you said, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. You are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Keep taking me, keep taking us back to the right priest Jesus and his priesthood that your name may be exalted in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.